0: Hey friends, welcome back to Metacosmios, a podcast with astrological forecasts for pasts and other cosmic chit chat. I'm your host, Jay, translator of Planetary Cadence, also known as an astrologer. Thank you so much for being here. Happy 2024, my dear friends. I hope this new calendar year has gotten off to a decent start for everyone Today's episode is going to be a little bit of forepast, a little bit of forecast. But hopefully in kind of a different way than is already out there. There are plenty of astrologers already previewing the astrology of 2024 and reviewing the astrology of 2023, some relating it to global events, some to pop culture and all that kind of thing. And all of that is super valuable, like, you know, the work of the astrology podcast or Channy Nicholas, but you know, there's people doing it. So I wanted to do something a little different, even if, even if only slightly. So instead I'm going to talk about my favorite transits of 2023, like basically my top picks, uh, you know, like how you would for movies or albums or TV shows, but for transits. And I've also got a few listener stories, listener tidbits, uh, to share. They, a few people have let me know their favorite transit or their most notable transit of 2023. So that's the four past part of the podcast. And then for the forecast, I'm gonna share what I'm most intrigued by that is coming up in 2024. So kind of like the TV shows or the books that I'm looking forward to in 2024, but for transits. So not too different than what's out there, but a slightly different lens, a slightly different uh, approach. So let's dive right into this four past. So first up, we have... Mars in Gemini and the Mars retrograde in Gemini. Can you even believe that we started 2023 with Mars still retrograde in Gemini? It stationed direct in the middle of January and then it was finally out of Gemini by late March. But yeah, that's the way that 2023 started, which feels wild. Um and truly honestly, I almost said truly, madly, deeply. So let's go with it. Truly, madly, deeply. I hated this transit so, 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 so much. So, 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 so much. It was long. It was brutal. And it forced me to make some really important decisions. So having had time to reflect, I suppose I have more respect for this transit. Like now that I'm far enough removed, I can more fully see and appreciate the lessons that it was bringing my way, that it was trying to teach me. And I guess I'm like somewhat grateful or whatever, you know, Mars and Gemini was Constant stimulation. It was overdrive for the nervous system. It was like having 17 cups of coffee and thinking, damn, I could probably use another one. You know, it was bloodshot eyes and shaky hands, scattered energy levels, but wanting to try everything, to learn everything. All ideas were good ideas. You know, curiosity was propelling action and there was just a ton of curiosity. At the same time, it was. Confusion and uncertainty and clouded thoughts. And at times it was external inertia with internal urgency. You know, part of the retrograde story was this series of squares that Mars formed with Neptune over in Pisces, which made everything so much foggier and lethargic and diffuse. It was a lot, it was a bit of a pill. It was burnout for me, and it took almost the entire transit, but I finally learned to slow the fuck down, you know, to make myself go to bed before I got to the point of falling asleep at my desk or even, you know, falling asleep watching TV. It took a long time, but I finally realized that I needed to tend to my nervous system with days off because, yeah, I used to not take any days off. I would take maybe a Sunday. Sometimes. I worked all the time. It was a wake-up call to finally be more consistent about going to therapy, not just like once a year, <laughs> like, you know, once every couple weeks, to take regular social media breaks, to limit mental stimulation in general, and on some days uh, entirely, like no, no screens, no No TV, no overstimulation, you know? Now, obviously, there were other factors involved, like astrology doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? But I know that the Mars retrograde, the Mars and Gemini transit was important for a lot of changes I made to create a healthier lifestyle for myself. And so whatever, I guess. Thank you, Mars retrograde and Gemini. Ugh. Mars. Mars is my ascendant ruling planet, so it's going to be a lifetime of love-hate with with that special fella. Now, I did have someone on Threads also weigh in on the Mars retrograde or Mars, uh, actually more the Mars square Neptune, but Meridian Tarot on Threads, Says, this one is pretty specific, but I directly blame Mars square Neptune last March for my concussion. It was the last hurrah of Mars's retrograde in Gemini, which stationed direct on my ascendant, so packed a bigger punch than a typical Mars Neptune square, for my chart at least. Yeah, for sure. Mars direct on your ascendant. I totally see this so brutal, so sorry to hear about the concussion, truly fuck Mars retrograde in Gemini. Ugh, brutal. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right, next up for me is March. And okay, that's not a specific transit or aspect, I realize, but March had some pretty big moments. March 2023 was big for astrology. Uh, Mars finally ingressed to Cancer after seven months in Gemini. Saturn entered Pisces after close to six years of being in its own signs. You know, it was in Capricorn and then in Aquarius. And Pluto made its first little sojourn into Aquarius And it was just an exciting time. Like, I just remember how excited astrologers and astrology enthusiasts were. There was all this new energy and new potential coming our way. And, you know, not that all of those transits are specifically like really good vibes, really good times or anything, but they brought a change in the landscape that I think everyone was really craving, especially after such a long Mars in Gemini transit. And a long time of Saturn being in its own signs. So, you know, I think everyone was just like really anticipating that change and like embracing it and welcoming it. And it was just a cool vibe. And it's also super historical to be witnessing the change in signs for Pluto because like no one alive during this transit of Pluto through Aquarius will be around for the next one and no one was around for the previous one. I mean, like Pluto and Aquarius is, you know, it is partly about transformations and technology. So maybe there's going to be some like advances in keeping us alive forever. That might be a Pluto and Pisces thing. Maybe it's a mix. I don't know. Maybe we will be around. I guess never say never. But nobody alive right now was alive during the previous Pluto and Aquarius transit. So it's still historical. It's still exciting. So yeah, March was just a thrilling time. It was cool to be part of a community that, you know, while we're always living these same collective transits together, a lot of times we're off in our own worlds, doing our own kinds of astrology, you know, talking to our own clients, talking about a lot of different happenings, but with these big sign changes all happening in one month. It just kind of felt like there was this magnetic pull kind of drawing us all together in a way. And it was, yeah, it was just exciting. March was fun. As I mentioned, Saturn moved into Pisces in March and the Saturn and Pisces transit thus far anyways, is also one of my uh, my picks, one of my top five it's truly been such an interesting transit so far, and I am going to talk more about Saturn and Pisces on an upcoming episode of the show. I've got a guest lined up who is going to chat with me all about it and relate it to some bigger picture world events. Um, I'm being sort of particularly coy about it because I want to save the details for that episode. I don't want to spoil it really, but so stay tuned for that. and, for now, I'll just say that on a personal note, this Saturn and Pisces transit is happening in my fifth house of creativity, playfulness, children, and I also like to put the inner child in the fifth house because I feel like it connects to like the fun and the games of the fifth house. And I have been experiencing both a restriction around this kind of pleasure and joy. So, you know, feeling that Saturnian boundary, uh, kind of blocking access from Uh, fun and creative outlets. You know, I truly even spent a couple of months back in the summer, late spring, summer, unsure of like what creativity even means, what having fun even means, especially as an adult. And it was also, that was right around the time of Saturn's retrograde actually, and Venus's retrograde. So it must've just been summertime. Yeah. Um, But truly thinking, like, what does it mean to have fun? How can I investigate this and get very Saturnian and serious and figure out what it means to have fun? But I've also been able to make certain commitments to joy and to fun. You know, I've made promises to myself about allowing space for game nights and craft nights and to not be so hard on myself for not being good at crafts and just allowing myself to have fun in the moment. I also got really into D&D this year, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is this very rules-heavy game. Like, it has a very solid foundation. There are these strict parameters. But within those very Saturnian boundaries, there is also so much room to explore and create and improvise. And that has felt very Saturn in Pisces to me, this like both and of boundaries uh, and boundarylessness of fluidity within form. And in my fifth house of fun, it just makes all the sense to me. So again, that's kind of more of a personal take. I'm going to have more of a collective take on an upcoming episode. And little teaser, I suppose, is that It's really the Saturn in Pisces transit on a larger scale has gotten me thinking about how oppression, oppressive systems, uh, suffering, how it's all kind of really interconnected. You know how climate change is connected to labor issues and labor issues is connected to feminist issues and feminist issues connect back to those climate change issues and, and so on and so forth. So again, stay tuned for more on that. Now, more from our pals on social media, WordWitcher on Threads, I love that username, um, says, I am absolutely here for Saturn and Pisces, a cooling bomb of goo over the seriousness of him in his home signs totally agree. Love, love a cooling bomb of goo. What a great way to describe it. Thank you so much for weighing in. And then we also had Priestess Activations on Instagram, who longtime listeners of this show will know as Elena from the Tarot Coven cast, uh, who goes by Priestess Activations. Make sure you go follow all these lovely folks that are weighing in. Uh, but on Instagram, Elena said, They totally agree with, you know, Saturn and Pisces being such a great transit uh, and in general is just a big fan of any of the emphasis on Pisces energy this year. Thanks so much for sharing that, Elena. It's so good to hear from you. All right. Next up for my top transits of 2023 is another retrograde. This one is the Venus retrograde in Leo and kind of Venus in Leo in general, but specifically while the sun was also in Leo, because the vibe completely changed once the sun went into Virgo. It was much less fun, unfortunately. Venus in Leo was so bright and so bubbly. I mean, hello Barbie movie, right? But it was also really deep and empowering. Hello Barbie movie. And I loved the mixture of those energies. Like, I'm not saying it was the most lovely transit or anything. I know plenty of people who had a really rough time with it. But I think it was a bit of a reckoning that needed to happen. And at least while the sun was also in Leo, the Venus transit, I think, was infused with a lot of courage and bravery to move through that tougher stuff. There was such an emphasis on the heart space with this retrograde, with this transit in general. And I feel like we were all really working towards honoring our hearts in one way or another, which is really tender work. It's not always, you know, it could have been really soft and and lovely, but it could have also been really soft and sensitive and, 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 you know, exhausting, For me personally, I experienced a really deep exploration of gender and gender expression. So earlier in the year, earlier in 2023, I'd come out as non-binary, but it wasn't until Venus's transit through Leo and then especially the retrograde that I kind of started going deeper with it all. Like something was starting to make sense on a deeper, more embodied level for me. There was a new kind of pleasure that I was feeling around that identity. Interestingly, I was finding that my connection with femininity started feeling more genuine, more comfortable, but it didn't mean that all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe I'm not non-binary. It was more like, oh, what I was doing for 35 years of my life was a femininity that other people expected of me that was societally prescribed. And now I'm finding my own. Because really, truly, what is femininity? What is feminine? To me, it's really so subjective. I mean, there's definitely an objective definition of femininity that society has kind of chosen for us but real femininity is going to look different from person to person. And I think Venus really asked me to go deep with that and figure out what it actually means to me. And Leo is my 10th house sign and the 10th house is a very visible part of the chart. You know, it speaks to public identity. So this retrograde was really activating themes of public expression. You know, how how do people know me? And all of that was kind of changing. I was also in a Venus perfection year during this retrograde, which if you don't know what perfections are, I do have a video up on my YouTube that is a very like quick 101 on annual perfections. But essentially every year of life you get you know, one of your houses in your chart is activated and the planet that rules that house is also activated. So I was in a, I was in a year where my 12th house and Venus were basically my, my guides. And so I knew that the Venus retrograde was probably going to be a standout transit for me, but it was really fascinating to see the way it it really took hold of my chart And of all of the astrology that I was practicing, because, you know, I think this was true on a collective level to some extent, but for a good five months, it really felt like all roads led back to the Venus retrograde. You know, anytime Jupiter or Uranus were activated in Taurus, which of course is a Venus ruled sign, it had a tether to whatever Venus was up to. And eclipse season in October both of those eclipses were venus ruled so that kind of tethered everything back to it and and we had the south node in libra we still have the south node in libra another venus ruled sign and so all of the interactions that planets transiting through libra were making felt especially connected to the retrograde themes with you know the south node itself being this point of release and purging the past so really going hand in hand with the Venus retrograde. So yeah, for a little while there, I think it really dominated the conversation, maybe even just specifically for me, uh, but both internally, like in terms of what I was going through personally, and then externally in the astrology that I was, you know, writing and practicing. It It was all Venus all the time, baby. So another listener weighing in, we have Agent of Pluto from Threads, says that Venus Retrograde was a monster this year. Aside from all the celebrity breakups, it was moving over my progressed Venus in Leo, Mercury, Jupiter, and Midheaven. I lost my beloved cat on the lion's portal, and all my friendships and relationships underwent a massive transformation. I end the year understanding where I've sold myself short and how to prioritize my needs. And lol, it's getting me nervous slash excited for Mars in Leo this upcoming year. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry about the loss of your beloved cat. Losing animals is the fucking worst. And I'm really sorry. That sucks. Getting you nervous for Mars and Leo this upcoming year. It is so interesting to me that we, so at the end of 2024, we're going to have um, Mars start to slow down and eventually it will uh, station retrograde in Leo. It's going to move back into Cancer. So it's going to span both of those signs. And um, it's super interesting to me that we're going to get Mars retrograde in Leo after a Venus retrograde in Leo. And I wonder what kind of follow-up it's gonna be. I am also nervous/slash excited. I'm right there with you, Agent of Pluto. Our old pal Meridian Tarot on Threads also had this to say. Personally, I really enjoyed Venus's retrograde through Leo. It was so fun to have months of a big, fiery Venus. Totally agree. And thank you for weighing in. And my final pick for my favorite and most notable transits of 2023 is... I don't know if that little drum roll is going to come through, but we'll see. The solar eclipse in Libra on October 14th. Wow. What a weird pick, right? And Obviously on a collective scale, this eclipse and this eclipse season was an especially horrific time, you know, the war on Palestine and yes, not a war between Palestine and Israel, not a conflict, not really a war at all, but a genocide Um, that was really just in its early stages. And it makes me sick to have to clarify early stages of something like that, but you know, October was when some of the truly brutal events were playing out. Not that it's not happening still, but I think you get get my drift here. The lunar eclipse in Taurus that followed this solar eclipse, which happened alongside a Mercury-Mars conjunction in Scorpio, coincided with a major comms blackout in Palestine, which severed connection to the outside world, blocked it out. You know, Mars symbolizing cutting Mercury being communication and Scorpio being a very hidden place, but also the moon often represents the people, the masses, and a lunar eclipse blocks the moon. So I just wanted to offer up that side of things for eclipse season because I don't want what I'm about to say to make it seem like there was truly nothing devastating happening in the world. Like I am absolutely not attempting to ignore that side of things. But I also think it's good to show contrasts like this because collective transits can have such a different impact from person to person, from group to group, from place to place in the world, you know? Sometimes people think like, "Oh, astrology doesn't work because everyone was talking about like this big full moon, but I didn't feel anything." And it's kind of like, yeah, everyone's charts are different, so everyone's going to have different experiences with the transiting planets, but Anyways, on a personal level, this solar eclipse was actually so lovely for me, but I think it's because I set myself up really well for it. It happened almost exactly on my natal Mars, like literally a minute away. And so I knew this would be an important eclipse for me. I knew it would be impactful. And I was actually really nervous about it. You know, Mars, like I said, is my ascendant ruler. So in some ways it speaks to my vitality and my health and to me in general. And the thought of that planet being triggered by an eclipse, these sometimes quite ominous events was a little spooky, I admit, but I prepared for it. And this is also a good example of how Knowing what transits are coming up for you, coming up for you specifically, instead of just on the collective, can be really helpful for planning. So, you know, this eclipse was in my 12th house of isolation, mental health, letting go, retreat. It was hitting my natal Mars, a planet that represents me, but also energy, motivation, anger, assertion. And it was happening near the South Node, as I've mentioned before, a point of release, of purging, of disentangling from the past. And so I was like, you know what? Let's schedule some extra therapy sessions. Let's prioritize rest. Let's take a social media break. I also got a haircut around this time, which I thought kind of moved with the energy of release, especially in a Venus-ruled sign. Uh, I watched a few horror movies on the day of the eclipse. One of my favorite quotes about horror from uh, Wes Craven is that horror doesn't create fear, it releases it. And so the day of the eclipse, I had set myself up to mostly just rest and relax. I did some yoga. I cuddled my dog. I cried a little bit okay, I cried a lot, but it felt really good. And obviously I totally realized that all of this is very fortunate and privileged. I a hundred percent know how lucky I am to have been able to do these things for myself and I'm super grateful. So just putting that out there, always good to put a little gratitude out there, right? So that's it for my picks, but we did have one more submission from threads that just kind of didn't fit in with any of my picks. So this last one is from the Lindsay Shelley, who says that Uranus through Taurus has been huge for me. I'm an Aquarius sun, Taurus moon, midheaven in Taurus, and Chiron in Taurus. So Uranus has been hovering back and forth over my midheaven for what feels like a year. So much disruption, disruption. It's like someone keeps flickering the lights on and off. Yeah, that's a lot and I love that image of flickering the lights on and off like with the with Uranus going, you know, hovering over something and like all of a sudden light bulb moment and then I'm assuming that the retrograde kind of maybe quieted things down and then it went back and it was like, oh my God, I see, I see what you mean. But yeah, that's a lot. I think Uranus on any of the angles is probably a lot. So best of luck in 2024. Hopefully it's uh, moving through and and done with the big hits. But if not, you got this. You already did Uranus Midheaven. You got this. And thank you so much for uh, weighing in. All right, so that's it for the four past part of the show. Hopefully y'all didn't find that too self-indulgent. I know a lot of astrologers tend to keep their personal transits a little more private and that's totally fine, like to each their own. But I do feel like it's an area where I can be the least speculative and like abstract about how astrology comes to life. I just feel like in sharing what's happened to me, it helps to ground the astrology in something real and something tangible. That's just my feelings. Hopefully, some of these stories helped you to translate some of your own happenings and astro weather. Hopefully, it helped you to ground some of that stuff in your own chart. Let me know. You can always come find me on threads or Instagram at Jasmine's Astrology. And now, for that much more speculative and predictive part of the show, I'm going to share a couple of transits for 2024 that have me the most curious. Now, first, I'll mention a few interesting and unique things about 2024 that didn't quite make my list, but I think is still worth mentioning. So, This is our last full year with Neptune in Pisces and Uranus in Taurus. Both planets will start making their transition to Aries and Gemini, respectively, in 2025. Now, Neptune has been in Pisces since April of 2011. Uranus has been in Taurus since May of 2018. So we're starting to wrap up some pretty large chapters here. With Pluto also moving into Aquarius for the long haul by late November of this year, the astrological landscape is really shifting in 2025. We're stepping away from an emphasis on water and earth energies and moving into a time of more air and fire energies. So this is really our last year with more of an emphasis on earth and water. And 2023 especially had a lot of Earth and water with Pluto still mostly in Capricorn, Neptune and Saturn in Pisces, Uranus and Jupiter in Taurus. Plus we had Mercury retrograding in mostly Earth signs. Now in 2024, Mercury's retrogrades will be in fire signs. So Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. The Leo retrograde will actually start in Virgo, but we're pretty firmly in that fire retrograde territory. The last time we had fire retrogrades for mercury was in 2017 and 2018. So it might be helpful to think back to then and and think about what little mercurial mishaps happened, Um, but they do tend to trigger more irritation and impatience. Fire wants to move and act on ideas, but the retrograde introduces delays and derailments. So these will be really good opportunities to take control of our inner flames and learn how to keep them properly stoked, not burning out and not burning everything down around us. And then we also have Jupiter heading into Gemini in late May, kicking off a year-long transit that really amplifies those buzzy air sign qualities of Gemini. So that shift towards fire and air is starting to be present in 2024 as well, again with Pluto and Jupiter both heading into air signs and Mercury starting to retrograde in fire signs. We're also going to see, as I mentioned before, Mars will station retrograde in Leo on December 6th, eventually retrograding back to Cancer, and that's going to take us into 2025. Eclipses will mostly be in Aries and Libra, adding more of that air and fire to the mix, but we will get our first eclipse in Pisces in September. As with life, astrology is always in flux, but there are times when we can see these bigger overall changes approaching and that's definitely happening in 2025 and 2026 with all the outer planets moving into new signs so 2024 does feel like a bit of a setup year it's helping us ease into these fire and air energies that are really coming our way over the next couple of years over the next decade really two decades even for pluto When we look back on 2024 in a couple of years, it might look like a filler episode because this entire decade just has such epic astrological happenings. But there are some really important story beats that don't deserve to be overlooked and undervalued in 2024. And with one of the main characters this year being Jupiter, a planet that knows how to take up space, knows how to expand and amplify, we might not have much trouble seeing the bigness and the value of these developments. Jupiter is not only changing signs this year, which it does pretty much every year, but it's going to make four really major aspects, one with each of the outer planets and one with Saturn. Now, the first one is Jupiter conjunct Uranus in Taurus. This is going to happen on April 20th, but it's really going to be in the air from about March 30th until May 9th. The last time Jupiter and Uranus met up was in 2011 and in the sign of Pisces. So it's been quite some time. And of course, Jupiter and Uranus have been sharing space in Taurus since May of 2023. So you may have already started to experience some of the themes of their conjunction, maybe just as like little whispers or more subtle energies so far. I'm really looking forward to this transit because I think it's going to be very positive and supportive. Wherever Taurus is in our charts, it's an area of life that's been going through a fair amount of shakeups and disruptions and change. We've been breaking new ground in that area of life, discovering new paths or perspectives. You know, the way that we used to do things in that area of life probably looks quite different, radically different than it did prior to 2018 when Uranus first arrived in Taurus. And then Jupiter brings this energy of affirmation and encouragement. It shows us the beneficial side to all the upheaval. It shows us the boons and blessings from challenging convention and embracing our originality. It affirms our authenticity. It's very supportive of freedom and expansion. And it may further amplify a need to break free and resist conformity. We can think of it like Uranus is seeking freedom, seeking authenticity. It wants to shake things up. It wants to think outside the box. It wants to challenge convention. And then Jupiter comes along and just lifts it up and says, yes, let's do this. Now, Taurus is a pretty slow-moving sign. It's not in a hurry, and that's really not a bad thing. But Uranus does tend to quicken the pace. And so the changes you've been making in this Taurus area of life may have felt or feel um fast, like lightning. You know, things that were one way for such a long time it was just all of a sudden like bam, 180 spin. And This would feel a lot different if Uranus was in a sign that also moves at a quicker pace, which we'll be experiencing once Uranus moves into Gemini in 2025. But with Jupiter coming along to affirm and amplify what Uranus has been up to, 2024 might bring a lot of accelerated growth, accelerated innovation, accelerated upgrades in that Taurus house. There could be some really big surprises, A discovery that expands your wisdom, expands your understanding of something on a large scale, you know, this conjunction definitely feels paradigm shifting. In the collective, it could relate to a big advancement in innovative technologies, something that totally shakes up the way we've been doing something or the way that we understand the world. Maybe it relates to food or nature or our resources in some way, given that it's taking place in Taurus. One of the most notable events that took place during a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction was the moon landing. It actually happened on the same day, which is definitely rare. Like we don't always see these big events happening on the exact day of a transit like this. We might, but this kind of event really infuses into the surrounding months and even year um, around it. You know, some of the Earliest Mac computers were released in the months and year following a Jupiter Uranus conjunction, meaning that they were in development um, during the conjunction itself. They were, you know, being built or or being thought up or, or whatever. I don't know the ins and outs of a computer production, but it is interesting to see what comes about afterwards as well. So we might see some exciting stuff happening in the latter part of the year that kind of began in April or that was in development in April. And again, on a personal level, this aspect reaches that three degree range, that really important three degree range by the end of March. So things will begin to build and intensify at that point. So next up for Jupiter is a sextile with Neptune in Pisces happening on May 23rd, but really it's going to be in the air from about May 9th until June 8th. The last time this happened was in 2020 when Jupiter was in Capricorn. Neptune, of course, was still in Pisces. Now this is happening at 29 degrees of each sign, so, right at the end of Jupiter in Taurus, like two days later, Jupiter will move into Gemini. So, this feels like a little bit of a parting gift. You know, it feels like a bit of a peaceful and serene send off for Jupiter in Taurus, which is nice because Jupiter will be on its way to a much busier and buzzier environment than it's been in for the past year. So this feels like a nice opportunity to slow down for a couple of days if possible. You know, maybe we can, as we look ahead and and make our schedules, we can make May a little lighter in the schedule. We can slow down a little bit in May. We're coming off of the Jupiter-Uranus excitement and heading into the stimulating transit of Jupiter and Gemini. So perhaps this Jupiter-Neptune sextile is a period of time that could be really great for softening the gaze a little bit. And, you know, what I mean by that kind of is like Neptune can slow things down. It can make the details of something a little unclear and hazy, but it softens the edges in that way. It takes the edge off, so to speak. So it might help us to just relax a little bit, to not feel as stressed by the details and to appreciate the bigger picture of life. It's a very optimistic interaction, a reminder of how good things could be, or at least how they might be better. You know, it's a very glass half full kind of aspect. And with Jupiter in an earth sign, there's something here about being able to ground our fantasies and dreams and ideals into something more tangible. You know, the embodiment of some kind of dream It doesn't mean that like all of a sudden things are going to be perfect, although we might feel quite blissful and idyllic on this day and, and in this sort of month time frame. But it doesn't mean that things are going to be perfect, but we're able to get ourselves closer to that ideal that we have in our minds, even if it's just one step closer. And you know, maybe that just means that something matches up for us between body and spirit you know, we're able to take something that we have known on an intuitive level, something that we've been sensing, and bring it into the lived experience. There is something about Jupiter-Neptune that feels very like profound spiritual experience to me. There are certainly vibes of big beliefs and big feelings around our beliefs, big feelings in general to be sure, but there's also a willingness to explore and tune into something that might not be super clear to us but feels inspiring and hopeful and opens the door for imagination and daydreaming. And I think it might be through that imagining that we're able to reconnect with a greater purpose and meaning. And that's maybe part of the peaceful send-off for Jupiter is having that expanded awareness of meaning as it moves into Gemini. I also think it's a really lovely transit for creativity and the arts, for spirituality and divination, and for giving back. There's a lot of compassion and generosity with this combo. There's an altruism, so some volunteer work might be great, like getting started with volunteer work or amping up your volunteer work, giving from a place of abundance for sure, whatever that abundance might look like for you in your own life. So as I mentioned, pretty much right after that Jupiter-Neptune sextile, Jupiter is going to move on to Gemini And our next major aspect for Jupiter is Jupiter in Gemini trining Pluto in Aquarius. And this goes exact on June 2nd, but pretty much right at the end of May until about mid-June is when they'll be within that three degree range of each other. So it's kind of in play for all of that time. And, you know, of course, while Jupiter transits Gemini, it's going to be in that sign-based trine anyway. So it's just that the energy of it is really potent right at the beginning, but it's kind of there for the entire year. Now, the last time Jupiter and Pluto formed a trine was in 2016 when Jupiter was in Virgo and Pluto was in Capricorn. And this trine feels especially exciting given that both planets will still be in the very early days of their transits in these signs. You know, this is happening at just one degree of both Gemini and Aquarius. And this is actually the first aspect for Jupiter and Gemini in general. So in some ways, it sets the tone for the entire transit ahead And to me, that tone feels very powerful, very empowering. Pluto is helping Jupiter to tap into the power of ideas, the power of curiosity. Jupiter and Pluto both have this ability to increase the size of something. So under this cooperative aspect, they can magnify the little things, you know, the little things being very Gemini. They can expand on the details in a really profound way. It's the power of a small detail that once revealed, once uncovered, completely transforms the way we think about something or the way we interact or share ideas with one another. You know, this is happening across air signs. So it feels like really big ideas as well. Ideas and perspectives that are very influential. There's a mix of positivity and persuasion that might see us drawn towards new intellectual pursuits or new ways of being in community, you know, air sign things. There's a flow of information. It feels very lucrative, which could be in regards to actual finances, like an idea that leads to material wealth. But it might also be the richness of understanding, of greater meaning, you know, the wealth that comes from wisdom or from being in connection. Whenever I think about this aspect, I think about crowdfunding or something being supported by community, the power of coming together to build something. I also think about something like a catchphrase or a soundbite that is so deeply compelling, something really small or quick, but that packs a powerful, meaningful punch. And certainly Jupiter will be affirming and encouraging the transformational processes of Pluto in Aquarius, supporting the deaths and rebirths happening there. Last but not least, we have Jupiter in Gemini squaring Saturn in Pisces. And this aspect is kind of a signature energy for at least the latter half of 2024, as well as kind of the first part of 2025, because Jupiter and Saturn are going to form a series of squares with one another. We will get two of those squares in 2024 and then one in 2025. So we're going to see the first of those on August 19th and then the second on December 24th. So it's kind of in play from about late July until December and like into 2025. And this is the first square between Jupiter and Saturn since their conjunction in 2020. So it's the opening square of this cycle that they are currently on. It's a bit like the first quarter moon in the lunar cycle. And the first quarter is typically a turning point in the cycle, a point of crisis, a point of action. And in this case, it's a turning point in a much longer 20-year cycle between Jupiter and Saturn. And there's always friction in squares. You know, the signs that form that kind of aspect have conflicting energies. With Gemini, we have this very fast and bubbly energy and it's kind of all on the surface. It's light and it's movable. With Jupiter there, there's an optimism and an agreeable tone towards keeping things light. Whereas with Pisces, Things are slow and deep, you know? We're looking for greater meaning. We don't really want to rush through anything when it comes to Pisces energy. We want to really feel into things. And with Saturn there— There's a heaviness that just pulls us into the watery depths. So we can already see the tension between these planets and these energies, and, you know, now they're meeting up under this square. So we're going to be navigating conflicts between thoughts and emotions, between external and internal wisdom, between sharing ideas and sharing experiences, between a desire for quick growth and movement, and also a need to slow down and be more considerate with our actions. We might experience some serious roadblocks on our path to success and evolution that ask us to make adjustments. Some form of adjustments always comes with the square aspect. We have to make choices. So what can we move forward with and what will need to be put down at least for now, maybe for the year while this square is in play. Saturn might represent a restricting force around a growth that is too speedy, which, you know, that could be negative or positive, right? Like not everything should or needs to grow at a rapid rate. And sometimes constraints actually help us to simplify and to pull focus, to refine our ideas, which I think we might need help with while Jupiter is in Gemini. So, you know, this might help us to get a little more clarity around what we're actually striving for. But again, at points, it's definitely going to feel like we're just hitting roadblocks and our growth is being stunted and it's frustrating for sure. Like I said, this energy is going to be an undertone throughout the latter half of 2024. We're going to get three of these squares. Two of them will be from Jupiter in Gemini to Saturn in Pisces. And the final one will be once Jupiter has moved into Cancer and Saturn has moved into Aries. And so that's going to be a whole different ballgame that we'll talk about in 2025. For right now, all we really need to focus on is the fact that this is what happens in August is just the beginning of a much longer story. And it's also just kind of like the second chapter almost in a 20-year story. All right, so that is it for this episode. Hopefully, y'all enjoyed it and it provided a little something different than what's already out there in terms of uh, previews and, and reviews. So, thank you to everyone who shared their own fave or memorable transits from 2023. So much appreciated to have your input for this episode. I really do think the best way to learn astrology is through the sharing of our experiences with. The planets. And if you agree, come check out the Cosmic Map Coven because that is a place where my main goal really is to build a community of people who want to discuss and learn astrology with and from each other. So link in the show notes if you're interested. And yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone. So grateful to have you here. I will be back very soon. I think Next episode, I'm going to have a guest with me. Super exciting. So stay tuned. But until then, I'll catch you in the cosmos.